So who exactly is on the cryptocurrency bandwagon? We tend to see it's like, you know, mainly young men that have kind of higher income. You know, education doesn't really play a role. Actually, interesting enough, actually, it tends to be non-white men. So in our sample, it's Asian Americans and Black Americans. Welcome to The Pie. I'm your host, Tess Viglund. Economists are always talking about the pie, how it grows and shrinks, how it's sliced, who gets the biggest share. In this show, we're talking about the most pressing matters of the day seen through the lens of economics. The Pie is a production of the University of Chicago's Becker Friedman Institute. And in this episode, we're examining the cryptocurrency market, who's in it, why they believe in it, and what that means for its future. Somewhat counterintuitively, given the headlines about fraud and other issues at multiple cryptocurrency companies, the use of Bitcoin, Ethereum, Dogecoin, and others is on the rise. It's being accepted in real estate transactions in some countries. You can use crypto from Starbucks to the American Red Cross, and it's even being offered as a portfolio option at Fidelity Investments. So today, we're looking at new research on who is driving that market. This is Michael Weber from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, Associate Professor of Finance and Pharma Faculty Fellow. My actually famous pie is the apple pie. And not only for like, you know, me growing up in Europe, learning about American culture. Also, my mom makes actually fantastic apple pies from an apple tree growing in our garden in my homeland of Germany. Well, Michael, I think it's probably a good idea to start with uh, a bit of a crash course in crypto. As short as you can make it, uh, what is cryptocurrency and why does it exist? Yeah, so like uh, cryptocurrency is, uh, depending on how you see it, uh, there are very different views on it. So ranging from like, uh, for example, Warren Buffett, who considers it like red poison, to like uh, <laughs> Stephen Colbert referring to it as gold for nerds. And so like, you know... <laughs> You know, uh, supporters of crypto oftentimes like think of it like an alternative of kind of fiat currency issued by central banks to engage in transactions and store value. And it's effectively a, a way to transact and, however, not relying on some official means of payment and instead of kind of uh, kind of using the anonymity of kind of the uh, framework on which it builds, for example, in the case of Bitcoin, on some form of anonymous uh, transactions that, uh, you know, you and I, we could trace back, but ultimately we could not actually identify the identity of the counterpart we are interacting with. Well, uh, let's just put all the cards on the table here. Full disclosure, I think cryptocurrency is basically a Ponzi scheme. I, I think one day, eventually, it will die. So there. Um, but before we get into your research findings, what's your take on it? Well, so like, you know, we could uh, think about, like, you know, what is the fundamental value of Bitcoin? And you know, if I had to answer this question, maybe actually my answer would be very similar to kind of your answer. So that's, you know, no fundamental value. So therefore, we could think that, you know, at the end of the day, no one should be willing to actually pay for it. And so like, we should have not any value. Now, but if you step back for a second and think about like, you know, you open your wallet, you look at one of those nice in the US little uh, box and greens, like, you know, you could say the same, like, what is the fundamental value of a dollar? At the end of the day, it's a piece of paper. It's not worth anything, really. Right. We all just trust it. Yeah, no, exactly. So, like, 
the reason why we actually value fiat currency is because like, you know, we know that other people also value it and accept it as a means of payment. And so to the extent that, uh, you know, other people are willing to accept uh, Bitcoin as a means of payment, or even if I believe it's a Ponzi scheme, to the extent I believe I can actually make a high profit by investing in it and actually sell it at a higher price mm, mm-hmm. to someone else in the future, I might actually still be well, willing to pay a high price for it, even though I think like fundamentally it's value zero. So like, you know, uh, similar to like uh, paper currency, you know, I, we could think that uh, and by the mere fact that other people value it and to the kind of, uh, we are willing to hold it for the network externality, people are accepting it as a means of payment, we might be actually be willing to pay a positive price for it. All right. Well, let's talk about the people who do believe in the present and future of crypto. You've been conducting surveys on crypto ownership for the last five years. First of all, what kind of growth has this sector, uh, I don't know, can I call it a sector, an asset class, I guess, um, what kind of growth has it seen recently? As you mentioned, like until a couple of years ago, most of us actually hadn't really uh, even heard about uh, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin in particular. And actually, this has kind of manifested itself and kind of if you ask in 2018, like, you know, 25,000 Americans that based on kind of their demographics are as representative of the overall U.S. population as it can get, you would see that, you know, two, three percent of that population would actually kind of uh, hold any uh, uh, amount of their wealth in cryptocurrency. But then actually, like, you know, as we witnessed the substantial increase in particular of the price of Bitcoin, you did see like over the course of 2021 to like the end of the 2021, like, you know, the share of our uh, sample that actually actively invests in uh, cryptocurrency was actually skyrocketing, relatively speaking, from 2% a couple of years earlier to 13% at the end of 21. So like a substantial Mm. increase in the fraction of people that are investing. And what's behind that growth? Can you can you tell from the survey, like, why? Yeah, so, like, we did ask people, you know, to, to the extent you hold crypto, why do you hold crypto? Or to, to the extent you don't hold crypto, why are you not investing? And predominantly, the most important reason why people do actually hold a share of their wealth in crypto is for investment purposes. So like, people say, like, I expect a very high return going forward. I think it's actually an excellent way to diver- diversify my portfolio. Those two financial reasons were the most important ones. But then also like, uh, you know, in, in 2021, when people started being concerned about kind of like, you know, all the money the government is spending and kind of all the expansionary monetary policy, potentially fueling inflation, you did see that uh, already in 21, people, a second most important set of reasons started mentioning I think actually cryptocurrency is a store of value and in particular, it helps me hedge uh, against potential future inflation. So first investment purposes, then the kind of hedge against inflation. And then like, you know, the third most important set of reasons was people were saying, well, you know, I want to be independent of bank and I value the anonymity of cryptocurrency. Okay, well, describe for us who is buying crypto? I love the title of your research paper. Do you even crypto, bro? Um, 
is it bros? <laughs> who, who's who's buying crypto? <laughs> you know, one of the reasons why we chose this title is indeed like if you like, you know, study in a, from a kind of joint perspective, like what are kind of the observable characteristics of people that hold and plan to hold even more crypto going forward? We tend to see it's like, you know, mainly young men that have kind of higher income. You know, education doesn't really play a role. Actually, interesting enough, actually, it tends to be non-white men. So in our sample, it's Asian Americans and Black Americans. And, you know, in terms of like political leaning, you tend to see it's, you know, consistent with this idea you don't want to be traced back by the government and be independent of banks. It's people that actually support or identify with the Libertarian Party and that are independents. Instead, like, you know, Republican, Greens or like Democrats, they are actually not more likely to hold cryptocurrency. In that sense, like, you know, the idea that it's mainly pro, it's like, you know, that's kind of where the title came from. Huh, interesting. And how much cryptocurrency do these folks own? What what kind of percentage of their overall financial holdings does it represent? On average, I remember, so like, you know, in 2021, so at the end of the, the year, we had about like 12, 13% of the sample that had a positive share of their wealth invested in crypto. And so for that sample... The average share was around 19%. For a large chunk of people investing in crypto, it was just a little bit of an addition. Maybe like, you know, think about it for gambling. I might expect a high return. I consider it a risky investment. So like, you know, 40% of those investing in crypto had kind of 5% or less of their overall wealth invested in crypto. However, we also see that around uh, 20% of the people investing in crypto at 50% or more of their savings in crypto, which of course is a huge amount. And wow. so like, you know, I teach uh, investment classes at Booth and like, you know, one of the things I always hope my students take away is, you know, don't put all your eggs in a, in a single basket. Right. So if it is mostly considered an investment vehicle, what kinds of returns are these investors uh, expecting to get on average, what what do they think is going to come to them by investing in crypto? Yeah, so like people are very optimistic when it comes to uh, cryptocurrency returns. Like um, people that uh, have a positive share of their wealth invested in crypto, they expect a stellar return of 22% over the next 12 months, which is way higher than the returns they would expect for like, you know, stocks, Stock bonds, market, yeah. or gold. And actually, like, you know, there, this is one of the big differences in which crypto as an asset class differs from other financial asset classes. We do see, like, whether you hold crypto or not makes a huge difference when it comes to your expectations for risk and return. Owners of cryptocurrency, as I just mentioned, they expect, like, a whopping return of 22%. Instead, like, if you don't hold any crypto, most likely you're not even able and willing to express what you think would be the expected return of cryptocurrency. In our sample, like, you know, on average, people, you know, just uh, consistent with the lack of uh, financial literacy, around 50 to 60% are just not willing and unable to express what they think would be the expected return of any financial asset class. Yet when it comes to crypto, this number goes up to 84%. So people wow. just, that don't invest in crypto, they just don't even know what to expect. And for the small sample, however, where we do actually were able to do elicit the expectations, 
they only expect a return of around 7% rather than the 22% for holders of crypto. And that's actually a huge difference. Like when you ask for, you know, stock market returns, returns of bonds, even returns of gold, there's no difference between holders of that specific asset class and people that don't hold it. However, for crypto, as I just said, it's just vastly different. People are unable to express their return perspective if they don't hold the currency. And the few that actually are able to do so, they expect a return that is only a third of the expected return of crypto owners. And can you talk a little bit about how they use this currency? Um, if it's an asset, are they are they holding on to it like a stock, waiting to see what happens to the price? Are they utilizing it as a currency and buying things? Are, are they holding it in savings to somehow buy a washing machine? Um, although I'm pretty sure Home Depot <laughs> does not take crypto. Well, actually, maybe they use it to buy Tesla and equipment for Tesla. Oh, sure, yeah. But more seriously... <laughs> Elon Musk is a big supporter of crypto, right? Exactly, yeah. yes. Uh, he has been late to the party, but now is a big supporter indeed. Yeah. So, like, uh, we actually try to understand, indeed, to which extent movements in crypto prices would transmit into people's buying decisions. You know... Standard theory, think about like, you know, the permanent income hypothesis, let's say, uh, of Friedman would tell us if my permanent lifetime income goes up, I should go out and start actually spending more. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we, you know, if I held cryptocurrency by 2020 and at the end of 2021, I saw this huge uh, run up in prices, I'm wealthier and, you know, I might actually decide to increase uh, my consumption. So what we did in our surveys, we indeed kind of, we know uh, throughout the time period whether people plan to buy larger ticket items, but then also retrospectively, whether over the previous uh, three months, they did actually buy larger ticket items, they bought a house or they bought a car. So like we can study whether, you know, I owning a certain kind of financial asset and looking at the price movement in that asset over the subsequent quarter, whether afterwards I was purchasing like larger ticket items. And uh, if I did so, whether this was planned or unplanned. And what you do see is actually there's a pretty strong path through of kind of increases in cryptocurrency prices into my durable consumption. And in that respect, actually, that's very similar to like what people would do if kind of the price of gold would double. It's actually a stronger path through than what would happen if kind of uh, the uh, stock market would uh, double in value. In which sense, however, like crypto is very different from other financial assets is that there's literally zero pass-through in my non-durable spending. So I don't go out and purchase more food, uh, like I don't buy more groceries and stuff like that. Whereas like, you know, this uh, theory I mentioned earlier, this permanent income hypothesis would also tell me that actually the non-durable part of my consumption should go up. And you do see that if, for example, the stock market goes up or bond prices go up, instead for Bitcoin, there's no pass-through like that at all. And so like we hypothesize a little bit in the paper that you know people might see Bitcoin more like kind of a lottery win or some speculations. Like hmm. if I now kind of uh, win in the lottery, I maybe go out and indeed buy a new Tesla and kind of treat myself but I wouldn't actually from the lottery win now kind of stock up my fridge even more. So like in that sense, like it's more like a gamble and a lottery ticket rather than maybe 
kind of a standard uh, kind of uh, savings vehicle. Given all that we've talked about, what are some of the factors that make cryptocurrency unique as an asset class? You've just touched on on one, but uh, kind of both in terms of how people think about it and how they use it. Some of the key uh, differences of crypto is on the one hand, like this very different outlook in terms of risk and uh, returns, whether you uh, currently already own crypto or not. Owners are way more optimistic relative to non-owners. Non-owners are not even willing to express a view. Owners also think it's an excellent hedge against inflation, whereas people that don't own crypto don't think actually that uh, crypto would offer kind of a hedge against inflation. And then also something that actually I thought was kind of uh, really interesting, like, you know, we as academic uh, economists, we oftentimes write on models trying to kind of explain what now kind of helps us understand uh, asset holdings and whether it is a kind of human capital and background risk and age from a life cycle perspective and things like that. So if you try to understand to which extent observable demographic characteristics can actually help us explain whether you and I hold crypto or not, you tend to see actually like those standard determinants actually have a very low share of uh, explanatory power. So demographic characteristics only explain around 9% of the variation of whether people own or don't own cryptocurrency. Instead, if you just elicit people's uh, like outlook for expected returns, that kind of actually helps us uh, explain like about twice the share of the variations. In that sense, you know, if you want to uh, figure out whether people actually are bullish and hold crypto, just ask them what their expected return outlook is. Hmm. Now, at the very beginning, we actually touched upon this fact that most people don't even have an idea of what crypto is. They say, well, I just don't feel comfortable investing in it, uh, given that I'm not, not totally sure. I have no idea how it works. Exactly. So then you could think, well, now given that, uh, you know, cryptocurrency is uh, much more in the media, people learn more about it and kind of uh, might get informed and might actually see maybe <laughs> their neighbor buying a new Tesla, let's say, and start informing themselves. So what we did at the very end of the paper, we did what kind of you know, economists sometimes call like uh, a randomized uh, control trial in the survey. And so like we just in a randomized fashion split our survey population in different groups and just informed them, for example, about returns over the last uh, 12 months or five years for crypto, for stocks, but also about inflation. And we, when we did that exercise in 2021, where like the return over the last uh, 12 months and five years was super, super high. And we told people about that. Like not only did people increase their willingness to buy crypto, but also in subsequent waves, we were able to document that their actual share invested in crypto went up. Instead, like, you know, similar information treatments for stocks had no effect either on kind of their uh, kind of desired portfolio share and subsequent purchases of equity, which is, of course, consistent with like, you know, you and I, we have maybe a good idea what the stock market is, even if we don't invest in it. But if you are uninformed about crypto and you learn about the fact that actually over the last 12 months, the return was really high, I might actually get interested and start actually shifting some money into it. That's what we indeed see in the uh, in the data. So, like, you know, that could potentially be like one of the mechanisms how bubbles are formed. If you see like a run up in an asset class, right? And you know, you learn through your social circles that the preferred 
cocktail party or in Uber right about it, you start informing yourself and then you don't want to lose out and also start investing in it. And that's, of course, like, you know, potentially a concern for like, you know, also a regulator is that you see this widespread investment into an inherently risky asset class. And, you know, we, we did the same kind of information provision experiment in 2022 again, where at least over the previous 12 months, you know, there were uh, Bitcoin had a very large negative return. And then you did see actually the people indeed, uh, at least uh, slowly uh, reduce their desired uh, portfolio share in crypto, but the path through on the negative side was way weaker than on the positive side. So like, that's of course, and also a concern, even like, you know, large uh, downward swings in prices do not uh, then kind of uh, sway people away from investing in crypto. But that is absolutely fascinating to me because when you look at the crypto world, right? I mean, two of the largest crypto exchanges in the world, Binance and Coinbase, are being sued by the Securities and Exchange Commission. Last December, we saw the collapse of the huge crypto exchange, FTX. Its founder is facing multiple federal fraud charges. Just a couple of weeks ago, the founder of another crypto firm, Celsius Network, was also arrested on fraud charges. What kind of investor looks at all this and says, hey, that looks like a great place to put my money? <laughs> you know, investor that has a very positive outlook for the expected return of the asset class. I guess. And, <laughs> you know, I think one thing we also have to keep in mind is that if you kind of consider like cryptocurrency a good investment, you oftentimes also kind of think that, you know, in, in other asset classes, maybe the cards are stacked against you. You don't trust the government, like uh, as we saw and discussed at the very beginning, like yeah. you tend to support the libertarian party, you don't trust banks. And so for you, maybe this is even just kind of the fact that the SEC is now suing crypto exchanges. We could just interpret uh, if you are, have this mindset that it's just like, you know, the kind of... It's gone mainstream. Yeah, no, it's gone mainstream, but also potentially it's like, you know, kind of the established players kind of trying to keep the new, uh, I don't know, uh, kids on the block out of kind of uh, DC. And so like, huh. it's effectively even maybe pushing you even more into investing in it to help support the development and ultimately making sure that, you know, the kind of the established players don't uh, push you out. All right. Well, I think for now and, and probably forever, uh, I'm going to stick with the almighty dollar. Um, instead of something I neither trust nor understand. Michael Weber, thank you so much. Well, Tess, it was, uh, as usual, fun talking to you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. The Pie is a production of the Becker Friedman Institute for Economics at the University of Chicago. If you'd like to keep in touch with the latest economic research from the University of Chicago, you can visit bfi.uchicago.edu slash subscribe. And you can sign up for our newsletter there as well. And of course, you can subscribe to The Pie on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Our theme music was composed by Story Mechanics, production assistance from the BFI communications team. I'm Tess Vigland, your host and executive producer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>